All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from uh, the borough of Queens here in New York City. It is the 22nd day of February 2022. I do want to take this opportunity to wish my very good friend, Dr. Alan Trefiasen, a happy 66th birthday today. Alan, who is an economist with the city of New York, is celebrating this day after a serious bout with leukemia. Uh, By the grace of God, who gifted us with amazing doctors and medical technology, Alan's health has been restored, and he continues to use his gifts to serve others in many different ways. So, uh, happy birthday, Alan. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And uh, I'd like to remind you that I write a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. I do cover a lot of very exciting exploration plays, some of which you hear about here on this show, many of which you do not hear about on this show. Um, very exciting times, and um, so we want to thank uh, the sponsors for this show for making this show economically viable. Some of them, uh, actually all of the sponsors are covered in my newsletter. I, I vet them first before I, I invite them to become sponsors and, uh, and then uh, also um, you know, pass the stories along to my readers and uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. But our sponsors for today's show, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Firefox Gold, Timberline Resources, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining Corp. I've titled today's show, The Sovietization of America and What It Will Mean for Your Future. Dr. Yuri Maltsev visits for the first time. Quentin Henning and John Rubino return. Ron Paul once said in a GOP presidential debate that, quote, if we are free, we will be prosperous, end of quote. Yuri Maltsev understands that as well as anyone, having worked as an economist on behalf of the Soviet Union as president at that time, Gorbachev, and his perestroika reform package. In 1989, Yuri defected from the Soviet Union, not only because he knew the Soviet economic system was doomed, but for a much greater reason, namely freedom and liberty. Yuri witnessed firsthand how power-hungry politicians use propaganda to deceive people in order to, to grab power and wealth and deprive uh, for themselves and deprive people of their natural human rights in the process. Um, Yuri is not fooled by similar deceitful propaganda being uh, being displayed throughout the Western world these days, um, where just prior to COVID, at least, people remained relatively free to voice their views 
their political views and their dissenting views, but uh, that seems to be more troublesome these days in many parts of the Western world. As the natural rights and freedoms that um, we as Americans have taken for granted are rapidly, at least seemingly, being stripped away, what will that mean not only for our personal wealth, but more importantly for our rights to live free and develop our personal talents and religious beliefs uh, as our founding fathers willed for us? Those and more topics will be explored in the second half of today's show with Dr. Maltsev. Meantime, we don't want to retreat into a bunker only to miss opportunities uh, to live life to its fullest, including recognizing investment opportunities staring us in the face. SK Mining, for one, is apparently on to a great new gold and silver discovery in, in British Columbia. And Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me right after our first commercial break to discuss the exploration progress that that company has made and reported early in January, in the mid-January, came out with some uh, a, a ton of different um, assays, and so we'll ask him about that. Uh, is, this is a project that is in the same belt of rocks as the famous SK Creek mine, one of Canada's most famous mines, a volcanic massive sulfide deposit, and it looks as though we, uh, the situation is really almost identical. Um, early exploration results are very, very encouraging in that regard. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that John Rubino is with me. Um, thanks for joining me, John. Hey, Jay. Great to be back. You know, it's always good to have you with us. Now, you know, I, I peeked at your website at dollarcollapse.com. It's a wonderful website. But I've seen some changes that I really like. I, I think you're there's just an awful lot of great articles there. You've all always had a lot of good articles, and I like to point people to one of my favorite things on your website has been your top ten videos, where you can people can go there and, my goodness, there's just a lot of really great talent and and ideas, especially free market uh, proponents there. Uh, but it, things seem to have changed a bit. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, actually, th things have changed quite a bit, and and they'll go on changing for a while longer. Um, Basically, now that the well, the last few years have been kind of sleepy from the point of view of a, a gloom and doom website, right? It just yeah, uh, dollarcollapse.com. Yeah, yeah the, the world has been sort of, I, I wouldn't say placid financially, but not a lot of crazy stuff has been happening. And lately, though, a, a lot of the, um, the predictions that are generally made within the sound money community about what's going to happen in the world, they've started to happen. So uh, we're going to ramp up the, um, the, the content on dollarcollapse.com in, um, in line with the world getting crazier and crazier. So hopefully pretty soon the site will be a place that you can come back to multiple times during the day and find new content each time. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, what, what are your thoughts, John? Because I know as you're sifting through, one of the things I enjoy about my job is that I have a chance to, to review a lot of different people a lot of different ideas, uh, but what are you, you know, what, what are your thoughts now after, because you have the ability as well to look at a lot of different stories that come your way, um, in terms of the economic picture right now, um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it was uh, Daniel Martino Booth who, who said recently, and I think a lot of people are saying this, that the Fed needs to raise rates, but it, you know, it can't, um, and it's sort of caught in a, in a, in a tough spot. What are your thoughts about um, about which way things are going to go here? Because now we're seeing the equity markets come down pretty hard. Uh, could this tailspin into some sort of a deflationary situation, or or might it go the other direction? What are you, what? How are you batting? 
It can go in a lot of different directions, all of them bad. <laughs> my, my take is that we're screwing up on, on multiple levels right now. You know, we spent the last 30 or 40 years bailing out everybody in sight, allowing yep. the big banks to take on insane amounts of risk and creating huge amounts of new currency in order to finance the whole mess, uh, which is now finally leading to the kinds of inflation that Economics 101 kind of said it should have happened already. You know, we've had inflation, but it's been very narrowly focused in stocks, bonds, and real estate. Now it's spreading out into life's necessities. People are starting to notice and they're behaving accordingly. You know, they're bidding wars in houses right now and, and you have to pay over sticker price to buy a new car. It just goes on and on. Uh, and that's extremely destabilizing. Meanwhile, in geopolitics, we're, um, you know, we're making some really, really boneheaded mistakes out there uh, in the U.S. in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems that we're picking fights with almost everybody in the world. And um, that is also extremely destabilizing. Right now, oil is uh, not far from 100 bucks a barrel. Um, with no real end in sight if we're going to start sanctioning Russia, right, or intervening in Ukraine or uh, um, picking a fight with China over Taiwan or any number of other things that we're, uh, we're involved in right now. So the, the financial markets and the um, geopolitical system are on the verge of um, entering into kind of a doom loop where, you know, feedback loop where each makes the other worse, in turn until we just kind of spiral out of control. And I, you know, I think that's, we're in the early stages of that. And I think it going on longer is very, very possible going forward. Mm -hmm. Interesting though, there's still some deflationists around. I was watching a, a video with Lacey Hunt. Uh, I don't know if you happen to see it. Our friend uh, uh, at uh, Wealthion um, interviewed Lacey Hunt. Are you familiar with his, with his work at all? I am, I, I watched yeah. the interview, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, th I think, uh, see, massive amounts of debt, it, it, in, that's inherently deflationary mm -hmm. because debt requires interest and it, it inhibits future borrowing. And in other, in other words, it slows the system down. You get less mm -hmm. growth than you would have otherwise. And we've taken on absolutely incredible amounts of debt in the last 30 or 40 years. And that's deflationary. You've got all this bad paper out there just waiting to blow up and send us back into a 1930s style depression. Mm -hmm. At the same time, every central bank in the world is armed with an unlimited printing press and they're able to create a lot of new currency to lean against the inherently deflationary forces that uh, that are at work now with this mountain of debt that we've got. So we've got these two titanic forces out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's completely possible that the, um, the deflationary side of the debt bubble is the thing that dominates in the next few years. I, I think eventually, you know, since it's just play money, central banks can basically, um, you know, type in whatever number they want, hit send, and that's how much new money is created in the, uh, the financial system. Eventually, they will... Um, respond to any kind of a hint of deflation with massive new money printing and eventually we'll get a currency crisis which will manifest as um, raging inflation and then will lead to some kind of a monetary reset. In between here and there though, we could easily have some serious bouts of deflation where mm -hmm. um, you know the debt problems get out of control and prices actually start to fall you know mm -hmm. it, but it's all you know it's all from the same, mismanagement. You get yeah. instability, which can be to the upside or the downside when you borrow way too much money. And that's just where we are now.
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I it, Looking at Lacey Hunt's uh, arguments, he talks about low rates, and that leads to the inability for lenders to price risk into the into their into their pricing. They can't price risk because there's no room when you have a you know two percent interest rates, and uh, and so that leads then to a decline in velocity. And he shows that over the decades, you know, this this massive amount of money creation and suppression of interest rates, how it has really damaged and slowed down. The economic potential of a com- of a country, and it's I think it's just really a, he makes I think a very good argument for it. On the other hand, as you say, you know when things really come unglued, can you imagine uh, if we have massive unemployment and inflation at the same time? You know that's uh, what are these guys going to do? I think you're right. It's play money. They'll just start printing, or or we'll have a dollar collapse, John. You know that's your website, dollar collapse. At some point in time, there will be a reset, right? Yeah, I, I think that's out there because, um, yes, central banks aren't going to let a deflationary depression happen because they're blamed for it when it happens, yeah. right? They become the Herbert Hoovers of this generation. We remember them 100 years later as the guys who screwed up the best yeah. economy ever. They won't let that happen, and they don't have to let that happen because they have an unlimited printing press. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, um, the inflationary spiral that is possible theoretically from that could could happen when people see the price of things that they need day to day start going up. And so they decide just instead of buying it each month, whatever it is they need, they just buy all of it right away for the next year. And that sends prices up even further, which panics more people. Uh, And then workers start demanding higher wages and they get higher wages because companies have no choice. And and so you get a wage price spiral that um, that can easily spin out of control. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think Lacey Hunt is definitely right that uh, the, the plunging velocity of money is both the reason we haven't had raging inflation up till now and a very big danger going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of uncharted territory. I mean, yeah. in, in one sense, countries have screwed up their currencies and had currency crises with high inflation over and over again. But mm-hmm. we've never done it globally before. This mm-hmm. is the first time everybody's made this mm-hmm. kind of a mistake at the same mm-hmm. time. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the global nature of this is kind of a wild card. It makes it hard to predict with any kind of certainty what's going to happen. But, you know, I think volatility and instability are the things you absolutely can predict with certainty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just what, how they manifest is, is yet to be seen. Yeah. Well, one thing we can say is that gold mining companies have done extremely well in deflationary environments, the 1930s being a case in point, uh, some other minor periods of time as well and that's true because the profits uh, if the cost of getting the, the gold out of the ground is is lower because of deflation if, but right now we're seeing the opposite of course we're seeing a lot of oil prices and you know all cost of materials going up very dramatically so if it's that kind of a <laughs> you know it's a financial the air comes out of the financial bubbles which is where we've had most of the inflation it's been in the financial world reallocating wealth to the to the few small number of people that are becoming filthy rich and so um, you know if it's that kind of a deflation deflation of financial assets but we still see rise in uh, commodities and so forth that's another picture but John we're just we really are out of time now but I want to thank you for interviewing me we had a nice discussion you and I, and I, I guess it's going to be posted on your website. It was a, uh, a video that we did. I named five companies that I think are candidates for the next great bear type of um, 
of, of gains. Uh, AMAX Exploration, Benchmark Metals, El Oro Resources, Lion One Metals, and Newfound Gold were five that I picked, mostly because they're more advanced in their in the amount of work that's been done so far. Uh, but but what are your thoughts? I mean, um, you're pretty bullish on this sector as well, I think, right? Oh, I absolutely am. I think the junior miners, the, the high-quality junior miners, mm-hmm. um, have a chance to make outrageous gains in the next few years. You know, Great Bear, which you mentioned, went up 50 times from, yes. um, yeah. from its early price to where it just got taken out. Um, and, you know, that, that's a lot to hope for <laughs> in, in yeah. our other junior miner investments. But there are 10 baggers, potential 10 baggers out there all over the place. Uh, yeah. So I think in, in the next few years, the junior mining sector will be one of the bright spots in an otherwise chaotic market. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, I'll have to leave it go at that. But I guess that video will be posted at Dollar Collapse at some time in, in the future, and we'll let our listeners know about that when that happens. Yes. All right. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go now, but don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us to talk about one of those that didn't make that list of five, uh, but uh, of my fa- of those that I think are great bear-like potential, but I think SK Mining definitely is one that should be perhaps in that discussion, and uh, we'll talk to Quentin Henning right after the break, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again, Dr. Quentin Henning. He's here today to talk about uh, SK Mining, give us an update on the company's drill results that came through on January 19th. 
Uh, SK Mining is a company that uh, is exploring for a pa- it's exploring a pa- package of rocks that hosts the SK Creek Mine, which is one of the richest gold silver mines in Canadian history. And from what I'm understanding, my take at least in reading the press releases is that SK Mining may be onto something uh, of a similar uh, kind of deposit. So, uh, thank you, Quentin, for joining us today. Absolutely. This is an absolute pleasure to talk about this story. Yeah. I always do. Yeah, you're very excited about this story. We should mention that you are a director and technical advisor to SK. You, the number of companies that you've been uh, on the board of or advising has decreased as, you're, uh, as you've now become a full-time, uh, a full-time advisor uh, to, uh, for Crescat Capital. And I want to thank you so much for those excellent videos that you put out uh, explaining the many different projects that, uh, uh, that Crescat has, invi- has, in- has invested in. And there's SKA Mining, I guess, is, is certainly one of them, right? It is our biggest position. That is, is you, your, okay, your largest position, SK, ESK in Canada, ESKYF in the U.S., 163 million shares out. I think that's a correct number. Uh, $2.32 in U.S. money uh, earlier today, at least when I checked it. I don't know. The markets are getting hit pretty hard today. $378 million market cap. Um, so let me ask you, Quentin, about January 19th, SK reported assays resulting from, I think, 21 drill holes. Uh, you know, this is a project, 52,600 hectares. It's a gigantic project that's south of, but along the same belt of rocks as the SK Creek mine. Um, those, you had 13 holes from the Jeff and eight holes from the TV. Those are two different targets that are located next to each other. Uh, what have you learned so far from the data that, uh, you know, from Mother Earth's secrets that you've gleaned from these drill holes? Well, this is, uh, it's, it's been very interesting to watch the results come in. It's been, uh, uh, interesting to see how it's evolved. I mean, the first thing that I would, I would say is we are dealing with, a part of the stratigraphy in the in this region that um, is a bit new, I guess, uh, to say you know host to, to host substantial deposits at this time. We're this type. We're down in the Betty Creek Formation, so we're stratigraphically we're a bit below the level of the SK Creek deposit. Mm-hmm. And what John and his team have discovered is that this system is effectively stacked. Okay, uh, this is a VMS system, so it formed on the bottom of the ocean. And what happened is, over time, and as sediment was being deposited into the, the this basin where this activity, this hot spring activity, was occurring, you you end up producing multiple levels of VMS uh-huh. deposits. Now, this is really interesting, okay, because you know everybody knows SK Creek. Well, that's that's up at the tippy top of the the package. It's up. In what we call the contact mudstone, which is at the top of the what's the Hazelton group. Mm-hmm. Okay, now um, Skeena, who have the SK Creek deposit now, they've been drilling some deeper areas underneath SK Creek, and they've actually found uh, new horizons of mineralization. They call one the the lower mudstone and one the even lower mudstone. Well, those are lower in the stratigraphy, kind of like what we're seeing here. Okay, so uh-huh. this is this is very intriguing. Uh, we're kind of working from the opposite end of the spectrum, working our way up. Mm-hmm. So here we've already found this absolutely uh, monstrous uh, VMS system at TV and Jeff that that does have high precious metals. Uh, we're, we've certainly drilled a lot of stockwork. We had some absolutely amazing results 
Uh, for example, in the last news release, we announced uh, just a whopping intercept. I think it was 239 meters of about 2.35 gram per ton gold equivalent. <laughs> that's immense. I mean, that yeah. that's uh, like to put it in perspective, the the stock work that underlies the SK Creek deposit or is associated with that deposit is only a few tens of meters. I mean, we're talking about something here that's that's considerably bigger, and we've drilled it along the footprint uh, for for quite a ways. People can go to the news release and see the images to see mm-hmm. what I mean by that. But it's wide open. It's wide open, particularly to the south and to down dip, you know, into the mountainside itself. Uh, this thing is huge. So you know, we're working our way up now. These ex- these discoveries are exciting. We also have hit. We hit uh, massive sulfide late in the season. We're waiting on assays from several holes. I think three or four holes yet to come back with the massive sulfide intercepts. We'll see what those return. But then. You know, this begs the question, what what else do we have here? I think as we work our way up the section, you know, basically up the, you know, think of it like a layer cake. As we work uh-huh. our way to the next layer and to the next layer, I think we're going to find that this system persisted up section, and we're going to find, uh, you know, further VMS here at TV and Jeff. We, we see just innumerable targets uh, from the SkyTem data. We see lots and lots of what we interpret to be sulfide targets of this type uh, above and a long strike and you know it's just it's you can't swing a cat without hitting uh, sulfide here so it's very exciting um, so that's uh, TV and Jeff do you expect I know there's a whole lot of other targets throughout this massive land package that the company has do you expect that what sort of percentage of this year's exploration work will be devoted to TV and Jeff we uh, we actually are going to have an aggressive program this year. It's going to be about 35,000 meters of drilling. I would say around half of that will be devoted to TV and Jeff. But like you said, we have to start testing a large inventory of new targets. We did test some of the targets uh, on elsewhere on the property uh, last year. We got down to the C10 and the Vermilion area, and we drilled a few holes, I think six or seven holes down in there. Uh, those assays should be coming soon. And then we drilled a few holes along strike or in, in between TV and Jeff as, as there was one hole as well. Uh, but we have a lot more to do here. Uh, if, if people f- who followed our story, they, they're fully aware of this uh, new discovery that was made up at the northeast corner. It's called Scarlet Ridge, and it mm-hmm. is an immense new uh, VMS system that was discovered really through b- boots on the groundwork. Uh, in September of last year, uh, this one is getting geared up for for its first pass drill program this year. Uh, we've got uh, I don't know somewhere on the order of a dozen targets that we'll be testing aside from TV and Jeff with with that drilling. Are you seeing um, some base metals as, as well? I guess right. Yeah, but the base metals in these particular VMS are not. We'll call it. They're not really of economic interest. Like okay. we're seeing, you know, you see elevated zinc and copper, and you know other things you might expect in a VMS. You might get a few hundred or even a couple thousand ppm, but these are not the main prize here. Uh, nor were they at, at SK Creek either. I mean, mm-hmm. silver and gold. The gold was about forty-five grams, I think, uh, average head grade, life of <laughs> mine, and silver was uh, two thousand one hundred grams. Uh, life of mine. So oh that's the kind of yeah. thing we're looking at. And and by the way, I you know, one of the things we saw in, in this recent drilling were some 
some uber high grade results like that. You know, we saw uh, silver numbers in the five, I think five thousand gram per ton range, <laughs> and that was right at the tippy top of the stock work zone at TV. So, you know that. In my view, that portends that the the massive sulfide deposit above that is going to be pretty dang high grade. So you know we're excited. Yeah. Very exciting. very exciting. Very exciting. Have have you done any metallurgical work yet up there on any of this material? Uh, we, we haven't, but we've done a lot of mineralogical work. Uh, what that means is we've taken rock samples, polished them up, and then looked at them under the microscope, and we can see that you know essentially the the um, mineralization we have is nearly identical to the mineralization Skeena has. Skeena has done extensive metallurgical work uh, mm -hmm. in preparation for their, you know, their PFS, which they announced a few months ago. Uh, so our view is we don't necessarily have to do a huge amount of that work, uh, mm -hmm. at least at this time. Mm -hmm. you know, explore, let's kind of work on, on this assumption that, you know, the Met should be very similar to what they, they see at Skeena based on, on our observations. Um, you never get involved, Quentin, in, in projects, uh, and certainly never would, you know, would, uh, would suggest to Crestcat they should get involved in something unless you see some very strong technical people, uh, in charge of the projects that have, you know, that are really taking charge of the projects. And you have a couple of really good ones there, John Decker and, and Thomas Monarchy, I think are two names I've heard you mention. Would you just take perhaps a minute to just talk about them and their skill sets? He, absolutely. Look, John uh, Dedecker is our vice president of exploration. Um, if you want to see the quality of this guy, go to the presentation he gave at the Roundup conference a, a few weeks ago. It's actually posted on the SK website. It's it's uh, you know a full hour presentation, but it will give everybody a clear picture of what the company has and what its plans are going forward. And then Thomas Monarchy, uh, and John is out of the School of Mines. He's a postdoctorate at Colorado School of Mines. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Monarchy uh, is a f very famous professor at the School of Mines. He's uh, basically uh, now, we'll call it the world's leading expert in VMS. He's kind of the huh. next generation of VMS experts out there. Uh, and Thomas did his dissertation at SK Creek. So he's kind of Mr. SK Creek. <laughs> he basically wrote the, the book on the, you know. Yeah that system so so you know with that kind of expertise we're just prime for discovery yeah oh, that's wonderful uh john rabino and i have been talking about in fact we did a video uh about companies that have a shot at becoming the next great bear success um do you think that sk belongs in that in that category yet uh, I would say yes. I, you know, like I said, we, you know, this is our biggest position. We're not taking this one lightly. Um, if you look at the history of the SK Creek discovery and the value it created, and the, you know, the ensuing fight that happened over, you know, control over that homestake actually wanted it in the end. Um, look, it was remarkable how much value that that returned, and that's the kind of uh, story that I think we're going to deliver here as we we drill. The, the massive sulfide at TV this coming season, and then as we as we test these new targets, if we found another SK Creek or two or three uh, <laughs> in this day and age, it will create tremendous value. Quality yeah. is highly sought by the the large miners at this point. Mm -hmm. you know, this story meets that you know criteria. So yeah, I <laughs> I guess you know when you compare it to Great Barrier, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, but. 
you know, maybe maybe we could even do better. I don't know. <laughs> well, Great Bear, of course, uh, we have the benefit uh, now of seeing a ton of an awful lot of drilling and exploration. And I didn't I didn't add SK to my list of five just yet because I'd like to see a lot more drill results yet, and I'm sure that's what we'll be seeing this summer. So I'm really looking forward to it. Just before we let you go, Quentin, how well funded is the company, and do they have money in the till to go through with this? Uh, aggressive drill program uh, this year. Yeah, the company uh, I believe has right around six million at present. Um, they are in good position because they have a lot of warrants that are going to get exercised. There's some uh, that ex- uh, expire in June that will bring mm-hmm. money into the treasury. Uh, I I think the company can can get by, you know, but uh, obviously with the precious metal market picking up and interest, uh, mm-hmm. if there's uh, opportunity, there might be a need for a raise or. Uh, you know, reason yeah. for the race but i don't think it'll be you know given the cash position i think the company's in a very strong state right now that's that's what we want to hear um all right very good well i guess people should just keep their eyes on drill results and that it will be well if not right away there's a couple that from last year and then when might they start working up there because it's uh, a little bit we're going to try to get going early in june this year uh they're going to start in some of the lower areas and then work their way up as the the snow melts uh, but we're going to try to get at least four, four and a half months, we'll call it, of good drilling in this year to get that 35,000 meters. Yeah, 35,000 meters, meters in four months. That's, that's an aggressive program. But, uh, well, it's a very exciting, Quentin. Thank you so much for, for joining us again and, and bringing us up to date on this one. It's, it's really one we're looking forward to. Pleasure. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Dr. Yuri Maltsev, a former Soviet economist turned uh, free market economist, uh, actually an Austrian school economist professor, will be with me right after the break, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me for the first time Dr. Yuri Maltsev. Uh, he is an Austrian school economist, historian uh, from Tartistan, um, 
he earned, that's in the former Soviet Union, Russia, I suppose, I'll double check that. He earned his BA and MA degrees from Moscow State University and a PhD in labor economics, um, that he was a member of the senior Soviet economics team that worked on President Gorbachev's reforms packages package at Perestroika. Uh, he is currently professor of economics at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, it's a small private school. And he has appeared uh, on various uh, major networks like CNN, PBS, uh, Fox, uh, CBC, Financial News Network, etc., um, across America and Canada and European television as well. He is the editor of a number of books, um, Rec Room for Marx, and he was co-author of uh, The Tea Party uh, and The American Counter-Revolution, and then also uh, another book called The Tea Party Explained. Uh, in 2013. He is a senior fellow at the Mises Institute, which we know well on this show, uh, having had uh, Jeff Deist, the president of the Mises Institute, on this show in the past. Uh, Yuri, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really good to have you. You know, you just such an interesting background. We don't have that many people, not that many people I know, that were former uh, economists in the Soviet Union who have turned into free market advocates, but you certainly have. Um, uh, Can you summarize the economic views that you were taught to believe uh, through the the Soviet system? Yes, you're right. I have a pretty bizarre background. I I was raised in in the Soviet Union and uh, um, royally brainwashed there. And I went to the Moscow State University, which is the best university, uh, which was the best and still is the best university in Russia today. And um, uh, what economics, uh, it was Marxist economics, so that was not economics, it was just a bunch of slogans. And, um, and what kind of slogans? Uh, that would be the same slogans as the left is promoting today in the United States. Slogans for I don't know, social justice, of class war, class hatred, that's what we were taught. So you're seeing, uh, you, you left the Soviet Union uh, to to come to a country that was relatively free, and you're, you're seeing a re, sort of a regression or a move in the direction of where you came from. Exactly, yes, exactly, because I defected to the United States in 1989. And at that time, it wasn't kind of a, a free market paradise at that time either, but it was, uh, it was much, uh, the country which was way more free than it is today. And now it's just, it's, it's, I, I would say that our freedoms are going down the drain, and, and I am too old to defect again. Yeah, I don't know where you defect to. That would be the question in my mind. Um, <laughs> do you, do you, I mean, is there any place on earth that, suggest that we should be free. I mean, if you go to the basis of our, of our, uh, you know, and I said to someone just recently, it seems as though we have some ir- uh, an irreconcilable difference in the philosophy of government. One holds that the individual is sovereign, and the other holds that the government is sovereign, and the individual is a slave of the state. Um, and, sure. and, you know, unless you can come to grips with the, that, that basic difference, I don't know how uh, you know, and I don't think most Americans have thought about it much in recent years because I don't think they're being taught in the in their schools about why, you know, why we separated from the King of England. So, um, but do you see that uh, that very basic philosophy of government? And um, do do you think of that's course. yeah? 
Yes, yeah. of course, Jade, because that's, if you look, I mean, you look at the Tea Party, Boston Tea Party of mm-hmm. 1772, then people revolted against, against the, the tax on tea 12%, and no <laughs> other taxes. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> look what happened to us right now. It's, uh, that's, that's one thing. Another thing is that, uh, that even since I came to the United States, I mean, there is a mass assault on freedom um, and, and personal liberties in the United States. And this pandemic, it created a havoc as well. Uh, I think was um, uh, somebody said that to, to greatly expand the power of government and to curtail the personal liberty, you need a crisis. And crisis mm-hmm. can be real, imaginary, or fabricated. And mm-hmm. now we have... Now we have fabricated crisis all mm-hmm. over the place, and mm-hmm. this is uh, uh, this, uh, and then the personal liberties are going out of the window. And you are absolutely right that socialism, the government, is making people slaves. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you can, yeah, because if you if you remember John Locke, the great British mm-hmm. philosopher of the of the 18th century, he was saying that uh, who owns you? Who owns you? If you own yeah. yourself then you are a free man. If somebody mm-hmm. else owns you, that you are a slave. And who owns you now? I mean, in the, definitely in Russia or other places like that, then the government owns you. So it's a mm-hmm. public slavery. Public, and but, public slavery, as bad as, as private slavery is, but it never resulted in so, many, in so, so much mass murder because it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense on the private slavery to kill your slaves. While the government slavery, it's, uh, that's the socialists of all kinds murdered over 200 million people just during last century. Yeah. Yeah, the dictators of the last century were, were amazing. And that, I mean, it's worse than anything we've ever seen in history, I think. And I don't know that, um, you know, that, that people, but here's the thing about what I see now, Yuri, is that it's, um, people don't realize that they are being enslaved. They think they're looking to the government as if the government can provide everything they need and they're here to protect us. So the propaganda has to pay a, play a big role in it. We're not allowed to hear certain things, of course, now in America. A good portion of part of the political spectrum is no longer allowed to be aired. Um, so to what extent did propaganda play a role? I've, I've heard some people say, well, in the Soviet Union... You you knew um, you, you you didn't believe you knew they were lying, but you knew you had to keep your mouth shut or you'd get the snot beat out of you. Whereas here, you know, that's it seems to be a very effective propaganda that's going on here. People are people are generally afraid, even when it's not necessary. It seems to me that's my view. True, and so it was easy. You just put a minus sign to everything they say. For example, if they say, well, this person was bad, or for example, if Abraham Lincoln is, is so good, that that would immediately raise a question, was he really? Uh, so you, you don't trust them. You know that they're lying. Mm-hmm. I had a neighbor, I had a neighbor, um, an older, older Jewish lady, Sarah, and every morning she would, um, she would wave a newspaper at my face and would say, Yuri, they're lying even about weather. Mm-hmm. And it's true. 
they were, and the people were very cynical about that. And they knew mm-hmm. that they're lying about everything. Mm-hmm. In the United States, I think uh, most Americans have not yet developed this healthy cynicism. And mm-hmm. some of them, yeah, they believe the CNN or NPR or PBS or other BS. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. people, that's real. And, and and this is very sad because then at this point you can fool people and and mm-hmm. we are being fooled. I mean, look at at what the kind of government we have right now. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you at some point. I mean, as a young man, you probably drank the Kool Aid, so to speak, of the of the Soviet Union. And as you were going through the Moscow State University, your educational, you're getting your PhD. At what point did you start to doubt? the legitimacy of the system, and how in the world did you have the courage to um, to defect? Because I, I suppose if you were caught, it wouldn't have been a good situation for you. Correct, right. Yeah, well, one thing is that I never was um, uh, under the Kool-Aid in the Soviet Union because uh, their Kool-Aid was such a poor quality that nobody could believe in that. <laughs> and then... Uh-huh. Also, I, what I want to say is that I was uh, kind of, how um, is better to say, a reject of the system because my grandfather, he was the chief architect of Sochi. Maybe you remember the Oh, the sure. Olympic yeah. Uh-huh. And he was the chief architect of Sochi. He built several beautiful houses, there, uh, buildings there. And, um, and he was shot in 1938 as a Japanese spy during this purges, Stalin's purges. And my grandma, she saved my dad, who was 10 years only old at that time, and they kind of laid low. And the, the only good thing about Soviet Union of that time was that they didn't have computers, so they couldn't figure out who is where. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, she, well. lay, she was under the radar, and, um, and so my father, he lived his life, he became a very famous biophysicist. And, uh, but, but definitely, because his life was kind of screwed up as well, because he lost his beloved father and everything, then, mm-hmm. then uh, I knew from day one that where we live and what we have. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a very unhappy child. I was, I was a pretty happy child. But from another hand, I was a very skeptical child, and I never mm-hmm. believed in what they were telling us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was not that was not a kind of any kind of conversion for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, yeah, it was just revealing. It was coming out of the closet. And um, and when I was uh, uh, when I was a sophomore in Moscow State University, uh, a friend of mine gave me a road to serfdom by Hayek. Oh yeah, and, uh, just for one night, and so this is uh, and uh, and it really puts the things together because uh, bec- it was kind of like developing a film. I mean, the images were already there, but Hayek Hayek's logic made them very clear. And so in, in the morning, I was already <laughs> already uh, not just spontaneous anti-communist, but very devoted one. And and so that's the I had this episode with uh, Glenn Beck. I mean, you remember this uh, TV personality? Sure. Yep. And and I discussed it with Tom Woods and uh, 
on his mm-hmm. show. And what I am very proud about that show that um, that next morning there were like three hundred thousand copies were ordered of that of that book in the United States. So almost the oh, same wonderful. amount as were published before. So I wonderful. paid my my debt. Yeah, I paid my debt to Hayek. Definitely for my con- well, I wouldn't say conversion, but for yeah. for opening my eyes. Yeah. So that's uh, Austrian economics is is the first school of economics, first and last school of economics, which exposed the complete, com- I would say, complete complete imbecility of socialism. Mm-hmm. That socialism is not is, that it is not an economic system. Um, uh, Ludwig von Mises used to say about the so-called systems analysis, the comparative economic systems, people are still teaching this stuff in American university, comparative, yeah. like, like there is, a, there is a, a market economic system and there's a centrally planned economic system, and they kind of can be, um, uh, can be used uh, uh, interchangeably. And, uh, and von Mises, he used to say that, uh, that the, the difference... Between uh, between the glass of milk and the glass of uh, solution of potassium salinate is not a difference in beverages. It's the difference mm-hmm. between life and death, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is. That that socialism is death. It's the end mm-hmm. of civiliza- civilization, and mm-hmm. that's what more, many people don't realize. And they're going after it again and again. And we mm-hmm. have a proud so-called democratic socialist. Like like uh, um, uh, Bernie Sanders or uh, mm-hmm. uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, that's just it's 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 very it's very depressing for me to see to see this mass I would say kind of mass um, uh, uh, madness of the of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah. So the, this is well. This yeah, is I what, mean. I mean, it's it, capitalism has made people rich, has made countries rich. Uh, socialism, at best, redistributes the wealth, and if there's no incentive for creating new wealth, uh, certainly the price mechanism, and we're seeing it here now with interest rates suppressed, it's really doing terrible things to our productivity as well, and I know you would understand that. I just want to ask, with just about four minutes left here, less than that, actually, Yori, what are you teaching your students now in uh uh, at a Carthage uh, college there, and are they receptive? Are, are you able to teach free market ideas like like Hayek and von Mises and these people? Are you able yes, to, to get... True, yes. Uh, yeah, I came to Carthage over 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and I came, um, I came to Carthage, I thought I will, I will teach for maybe one or two semesters, and then I'll find a real job. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still there because I really value the the atmosphere of freedom there uh-huh, uh, so uh-huh. we, we we don't i i can teach our students whatever i like to teach and i'm teaching them sound economics uh, mm-hmm. sound economics not only austrian school but uh, i'm giving them a, a wide perspective because if you teach them only austrian school you'll handicap them but mm-hmm. they must know they must have a choice because freedom is choice so I'm I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's really wonderful to hear that the you you have that freedom to teach them. I I believe that Austrian economics is, it's just natural. I mean, it really explains how people act with with freedom. 
you know, oh. if people are free and they're acting in their own best interest and that has, a, at, at least if they're not trying to buy off politicians to get special favors and laws passed, I mean, when that begins, then the system starts to break down. But at least, um, you know, people are free to develop their own God-given skills and talents in this kind of system so it can really blossom out into into something that's wonderful and provide for more and more people. It is a system that has proven to be uh, a wealth-creating economic system like no others, and it's the most natural thing. So I would think that if people could just have the opportunity to hear about free market economics, they would start to grasp it very easily. Unfortunately, in most schools, they're never taught. They don't teach. They don't teach right. capitalism. I mean, we're a capitalist system, but they don't have any classes anywhere that I know of in the public schools anyway that teach the virtues of capitalism. It's all the evils of capitalism is all they hear about. True, and that's why that's why I really am an ardent supporter of the von Mises Institute. Uh huh. Because um, because one Mises Institute is providing us with intellectual ammunition for our classes. Yeah. Then exactly people like Ron Paul. Yeah. He he unfortunately he is uh, getting old. Whatever. But when he was very when he was very active, I we had a lot of students following following him. A lot mm-hmm. of students following him, and a lot of students uh, and he opened the gateway for Austrian economics for for. The whole the ideas of freedom in the classroom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you are absolutely right that in many universities and many colleges, this is not the case. They have the woke, yeah. woke ideology. They are against the freedom of speech. They are shutting down everything. They all dissenting views. Yes, I agree. That's that's very very sad. Yeah. Well, Ron Paul once said, "If you're." Uh, if we're free, we'll, we will be uh, prosperous, as I think he said in a presidential debate. And you most certainly would understand that as well as anybody. Yara, we're going to have to leave it go at that. There are so many more things I wanted to ask you about. We'll have to do it again sometime, perhaps, if you're available. I, I know that you've written, yeah. you've written several books. You've written a couple of books, Room for Marx. You've co-authored The Tea Party and The American Counter-Revolution and The Tea Party Explained. Uh, we could talk about some of those things, perhaps, or more about your background as well. Thank you so much for being with us, Yori. We do have to go now, but uh, we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Well, All thank right. you for having me. It was, it's a Ye- pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, well, we do have to go now, but next week uh, we'll have David Stockman with us as well as Michael Oliver. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.